You're listening to How Do You Decide with Megan Stafford, a podcast that explores how the decisions we make shape us, the crossroads, the difficult choices, and how sometimes the smallest decisions can have the biggest impact. Join me as I meet everyday Aussies and find out about their lives, the decisions that changed them, and how they coped along the way. This week on the podcast... I'd come from somewhere that was 600 kilometres to Townsville, 600 kilometres to Northern Territory borders, 600 kilometres to the Gulf, and yet I'd never felt isolated. And here I was in beautiful Walker, feeling isolation. That's Jen Keeley. As you just heard, Jen grew up remotely outside Richmond in North Queensland on a property that had been held in the family for four, now five, generations. In late 2008, Jen and her husband Chook moved to Walker in the New England region of New South Wales. It was a decision they took their time to make. There were various things they considered, with the primary one being education. It was a very personal choice and one made without judgment about others. That was the whole point. They were making a decision for their family, not trying to make a statement about how you should live, unless that statement is, find what fits for you. Jen went on to work at Backtrack, a youth organisation based in Armidale. The role wasn't just nine to five though, with Jen and her family opening their home up to some of the Backtrack boys. When I met Jen at the Armidale show, she spoke to me about the decision to move to Walker, the isolation she felt upon arriving and how she overcame that. We also talk about working at Backtrack, burnout, and how sometimes the hardest choice is taking care of yourself and stepping back. It's an ambient episode with the sounds of the Armidale show. Jen Keeley. Uh, so Megan, we've been living at Walker in the New England for 12 years. Grew up at Richmond, um, out between Townsville and Mount Isa. Know it well. Know yeah, it well. <laughs> absolutely you do. Uh, so grew up out there, you know, in the family aggregation of places. And, you know, some years after we were married and a couple of children later, we were looking at, you know, that transition for where we would make our home and we searched I never thought I'd end up in the New England on a what I would see as a hobby farm two and a half thousand acres but um you know the our search and we had a clear list of what we were looking for but our search led us down here and it's been a wonderful move a really good move for for all of us really as a family so yeah 12 years later we're very much embedded in our community down here but in that transition it would, would have been quite tough coming from Richmond just everything, everything is different. Yeah, it is. And, you know, different times in, in sharing, you know, that experience with people. I've said it's a bit like transplanting a bougainvillea that, you know, everything from the climate, as you say, like we didn't know how to, I didn't know how to light a fire and keep it going overnight. You know, yeah. By the time we'd learnt to do that and traded our wardrobes of linen shirts for warm jumpers, like everything was just so different, you know. Um, kids off to school like I we had this beautiful garden but I didn't know what any of the plants in it were you might my gardening knowledge is limited to a bougainvillea and an oleander and suddenly I was living amongst elm trees and uh, magnolias and all sorts of things so anyway I um a, a big steep learning curve and lots of things that were really different and we were certainly really embraced by the community down here um but it didn't take long for um for that real sense of isolation to kick in and, you know, knowing Richmond and knowing, you know, how isolated those communities are. Um, yeah, like, I mean, you're on a property how far from town in Richmond? 
That's right. So, you know, when well, we were... How far at, was it from, like, what's Richmond to Wayang? Was it, were you at Wayang? Uh, we were at Wayangri, yeah. yeah. So it is only, you know, 26 kilometres from town. But still the but township itself the, is... That's uh, right. And, the, and, you know, the whole... people maybe. Mm, yeah. And the whole um, northwest Queensland, it, you know, it is actually isolated. But in my life up there, I never felt isolated. Yeah. And yet moving to New England, where we're far... Less populated, geographically isolated, you know, and surrounded by all sorts of opportunities and services. I actually did suddenly feel isolated, and and the immediate recognition for that for me was the absence of connection and community at a deeper level. And and so, you know, I really set about creating that in earnest. And And how did you? What did you do? Like, I mean, I feel like that is something that everyone wants to feel connected, but. How do you start? Yeah, good question, Megan. Um, you know, we, we were warmly welcomed. The kids made friends at school and we were invited to, you know, barbecues or functions or what have you. And was Chuck from here? No, we didn't know right. anybody when we moved so here. What made the decision? Why, why here? Why here? Um, essentially, we had a list of criteria. And if we weren't going to live at Richmond and, and with family and established connection, you know, we wanted to be quite deliberate about what we were looking for and one of the things was access to education for kids. So as soon as you decide that access to education is a thing, that takes out a vast, <laughs> vast area and then we didn't want to live on top of a coal mine or a gas field. or So that takes out a lot of land as well and suddenly you have to start looking in niche little pockets and then, of course, we're running spreadsheets and looking for somewhere that was productive. So... Walker came up on top in terms of it had the production. It was wasn't geographically isolated. It had access to education, opportunities for us off farm, and and we took a giant leap of faith. We we packed and moved, and we spent a year living down here, um, having a good look around and understanding the community just, and the land. Were you renting somewhere and existing, or what? Yeah, were you? we just rented a house yeah. on a property, and then down I love there, that you didn't like go all full in as well because like, then I guess yeah. you don't have a more you know you don't have something that you've put down roots and or can't get back out of it if you didn't if it didn't end up lining up yeah it's interesting because while we hadn't bought a property our roots were down and so yeah. leaving was never an option yeah once we came yeah it was just taking the time to find the right place yeah um, but you're putting our roots down here I'm really putting our roots down you know you know, that being warmly welcomed in friendships. But I recognised that that sense of isolation was about something deeper than that. It was around cross-generational friendships and, and the absence of that deeper sense of knowledge and connection in the community. So I started volunteering. You know, I was secretary for the rugby club and I got on the PNC and I did all of these things. And that really started to fill that void for me in a way that gave me a, you know, that, that deeper sense of connection in my community and, and, and it still for, serves me. Yeah, and feeling fulfilled, I guess, and just... Yeah. Contributing. Because, yeah, contributing. And, you know, that that volunteering, you know, it's really what it was, but it's just participating on committees and, and stepping in and, and helping out. But that sense of volunteering led me to other opportunities as well, which were, you know, wonderful and really fulfilling. What were those opportunities? I ended up volunteering for Backtrack for the youth, yeah. Um, for the youth program based here in Armidale uh, with Bernie Shakespeare. So I had four and a half years um, in various roles there. You know, I started from volunteering and morphed into other things. And 
by the time I finished after four and a half years, you know, the organisation had really grown and changed as it was meant to and, and I certainly felt a great sense of accomplishment and contribution to that. But it was time for me to step away. Made beautiful Again, connections and relationships during that time, particularly with, you know, the young men who were in the program who used to come and stay at home. Yeah. So you had four kids. You had four kids yourself. And then how many kids were you adding to your household? Yeah, you're right. I did have our four children and then three nights a week I'd bring home three or four boys from the program and they would live and work with us and... In doing so, they got up their competencies for their certificate too in agriculture so they could fence and landmark and, you know, do all your basic farm maintenance and husbandry and they become competent and then they could check off their qualifications. They stayed in the cottage at the bottom of the garden but they shared their evening meals with us and that was, it was a lovely thing to do for both for our children and for the boys and certainly for us it was very rewarding in really simple ways that just made you realise that you know just being loving and kind and and genuinely giving of yourself actually does so much to heal for people yeah and I mean for your kids just to have other kids around that have such different I'm sure backgrounds to Mm. their own have did they ever like your kids ever say anything to you about the boys coming to stay? No, it was just it's just how it was. I I actually had a conversation with my mother at some point. I don't know. We've been doing it for a couple of years because it had suddenly occurred to me it was no different than when we were living on the station and we had jackaroos around. You know, it was we didn't need to weigh into the whys or any of that, and I never did that with our kids. The boys were just there. They were helping on the farm. They had their evening meals with us. The kids were friends with them. Occasionally they'd throw them a football or something. They'd sit and play Lego in front of the fire with the kids. But it was just really simple. Share a meal, share some time together. Boys went to work. Kids went to school. Yeah. It wasn't complicated and they didn't see it any other way. They knew that we were helping, but there was, there was really nothing more to it than that. Yeah, yeah, so simple. Rather than like, yeah. let me help shape you. But you are shaping them just by giving them the opportunity. Come and work yeah. with us. We trust you. We value you. We'll teach you what to do. You're welcome at our table to share in our family meals and sit by the fire in winter and let those things speak louder than anything else. And yeah. do you still have a relationship with those boys now? I do, Megan, and it's lovely. Um, Particularly, well, I refer to them as the big boys, but, um, you know, the older boys who are, who are still there at Backtrack now as youth workers, yeah. bringing through the next generations of, of young uh, men and women because the program has, has girls in it now and doing very well. But there are, there are quite a number of those older boys that um, we spent a lot of time with during those years who... You know, I'll bump into you down the street and there's always a warm hug and a hello and a catch-up. Yeah, it's lovely. I love that. It's like you've got even more kids. Yeah, look, I am a bit like the old woman who lived in a shoe. <laughs> and and in part, that was why I, I ended my time with Backtrack is that um, I will just bring them all home, you know. that. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess was it starting to have an impact on... Or I don't want to put words in your mouth, but what was it that was, you know, contributing or was there something that was having an impact on you that you were starting to think, I'm not being able to contribute in the same I way? Couldn't, um, 
I couldn't switch off from it. So, yeah. you know, my work um, in the administrative program management side of it, um, there was a lot of it. But I never, nothing I did for me was enough. So there was always another grant to write, another thing to achieve because there were just so many of these kids and they all could do so much more. And it, I knew I was doing a lot, but it never felt enough. And, you know, it doesn't matter how many kids I brought home, if there was someone who was, you know, didn't have a proper home at the time, I'd just put your swag in your bag in my car, you can come home and stay with us. Now, I guess there's a point where that really probably stops working for my family and I'd really, you know, in essence, I'd burnt myself out. I just was trying to do too much for too many and, and it was time for me to stop and recalibrate. Um, I haven't is... gone back into the program because I know the second I do, I'll be taking a carload of boys home every week. That's just the way I am. Yeah. But I think it's courageous to identify when things stop working for you. Yeah. And that, but, you know, I don't think it is selfish to to sort of, to know where your boundaries are and because otherwise, what good are you to, to someone if you're burnt out? And that's exactly, I guess, where I had gotten to was that I was trying to be all things to all people and and just you know running on empty and it was time to stop and recalibrate and and to understand that I no one can do be all things to all people and yeah what did that look like like when you noticed that was it something that were you starting to get physical symptoms I mean I'm guessing you were exhausted all of the time like fatigue and things was it like also attitude you start to get find yourself like having a much shorter tether with people because you're just like don't you see what I'm trying to do for everyone you well, know. impatience driven by my mind was just racing with all the things I needed to do and for my children and, you know, my husband and my business and then for all that I'd taken on in my work role as well. And there just weren't enough hours in a day and I was running myself ragged, literally, you know, meet myself coming around the corner almost, you know, just crazy, crazy, crazy. Um, and just went, I can't keep doing this everybody's going to suffer I won't be helping anybody it's time to stop yeah and did you uh, grapple with that for a while or once you sort of had seen that that's where you're at you were like okay time to step back I did grapple with it for a while in that I first of all tried to see if I could manage it differently yeah and then recognized that for me that wasn't the answer it was actually making the decision to resign um, was was what I needed to do and I did so knowing that the organisation was blossoming and that was a wonderful thing to see and and also just to stop and you know it's okay to press the pause button and see what comes next yeah that's right that's right and what has come next so far well, <laughs> I did um, I did some work at the university for a year in a science ag education role, getting high school students, you know, more high school students doing ag at uni. Oh, cool. And that was very rewarding. Yeah. And then I actually took a year or so off and decided to write a book, which had been a bucket list thing. Um, so during my time at Backtrack, I had become... Um, Involved with a Rotary Club at Dubbo who did this incredible four-wheel drive event, raising money. And while that sounds really perhaps run-of-the-mill, the characters and the stories and the impact 
that they had created and the way they told their stories really left an impression on me and I decided that it was really worthy of capturing. So I, yeah, so I wrote a book for them, so 280-page coffee table book. But I spent a week with them touring around, recording their stories and then travelling backwards and forwards to Dubbo and catching more. So the stories were individual, like people that were driving or were they just within the whole organised, like the whole part of the rally? Yeah, so the people who organised it right back from when it started, you know, 26 years ago, people who were impacted by the benefit of being recipients of their charity and giving and there's some really powerful stories in that. Um, the Rotarians themselves and as as well as the just the participants in the program. Yeah. And some of them are just hilarious stories of mateship and frivolity yeah. and others make you cry, just pull at the heartstrings of the impact that they had. And they're, and they're their stories, but they're beautiful stories and they're really worth sharing. Yeah. And well, I loved it. I loved I loved that whole project and just completely immersed myself in it. Yeah, that sounds amazing. What's yeah. the book called? It's called The Journey. Yep. Yeah. Leaving More Than Tracks. Leaving More Than Tracks. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. I love that tracks have been uh, part of, you know, like backtrack, leaving, you know, it's been part of your, your journey. Yeah, they do keep popping up. Yeah. Um, but I, we spoke earlier about stories as well and that the boys at Backtrack, that mm. one of the things that you would try to you know give them or teach them is the skill of of telling their story yeah that was um you know in those early years uh, and bernie's a very gifted storyteller yeah um and we recognized in the in the boys in order to get them it started with their dog jumping so when they were doing their dog jumping and running their commentary just a few sort of anchor comments and and statements but a, a sort of a focal place for them to begin that they could then begin with confidence at a starting point that they would be more able to tell their stories. And I guess I actually, I love a good storyteller. You know, I can sit and enjoy, I really enjoy the company of someone who can tell a great yarn. But I also believe that everyone has a story to tell and some people just need a few more tools to find the confidence or where to start and then they tell their story so beautifully. So it, it is a real gift, I think, when you can help people unleash their ability to tell their own story. And it was a lovely thing to see in some of those boys as they discovered that confidence and ability to tell their own stories. And just, I guess, the way we all have different things that we, you know, the way that we do tell stories. People have a different, you know, they're different perspectives or they're different. The same, the same set of events can be told in a story in such incredibly different ways depending on the person and where they come from and what they observe and how they tell that. And everyone has a different set of turns of phrase or, you know, way of telling a story that I, I just find it's fascinating and engaging and that to see someone share a story in their own way, regardless of what the story is, if they really engage with that, it becomes a wonderful story to tell or, you know, a wisdom to share or a, a funny thing, you know, it doesn't matter what it is, which end of the spectrum that is. Um, so it is a lovely thing to see those young people be able to, to share their stories. Absolutely. And then when you've shared your own story locally, you said you've gone, gone to, you know, done quite a bit of public speaking as well. And I just thought it was really great why you said that you, you're driven by that. I was wondering if you'd share that again. 
Yeah, I have been. I have been asked to um, to speak at a, a few, you know, regional and local events, which has been lovely. Yeah, the catalyst for that is probably what we touched on, you know, early was that just talking through the change um, and relocating from northwest Queensland to the New England and and understanding that I'd come from somewhere that was 600 kilometres to Townsville, 600 kilometres to Northern Territory borders, 600 kilometres to the Gulf, and yet I'd never felt isolated. And here I was in beautiful Walker feeling isolation and, and recognising what I needed to do about that and that create creating connection. And that for many people, you know, we all have really busy lives and and on the surface it can feel like such a wonderful life, but many people hunger for that connection and that reminding people they're helping others um, and volunteering is a way to build those those strong senses of that strong sense of connection. Whether you're an at-risk youth, whether you're an older person, whether you're a young person in a community, we can all give a bit and do a bit and it's such a rewarding way to build relationships. Yeah, I think it's so interesting too, you know, talking of decision-making. You and Chuck, your husband, made such an intentional decision. Mm. You know, I mean, you were like looking, you know, literally across the country for the things that you wanted to tick boxes mm. and found, you know, choose Walker, come down here and then once you're facing that isolation, you're faced with another decision like how do I deal with this? Yeah. And, you know, I just think people find themselves in that in that place of wondering like how do I deal with this? And, uh, and then you've got to love it. I just love the imperfect audio. <laughs> this is great. Um, but you know, you, you you find yourself there, having to make a decision like, how do I how do I get out of this mm. this feeling? You know, I think first are, you've got to recognise it, Megan. Yeah. So, and that, to be honest, is the hardest part. Yeah. You know, rec- admitting it. Well, do you, think, or just you can tell that you you're not right. Yeah. But to be able to pull up and recognise what is it that's not right. Yeah. I think, for me certainly, that's where. I've had the power to make decisions. The struggle is in the time between feeling not right and having the awareness of what's not right. For me, each time I've been able to see what's not right, the ability to change it and make make the decisions, that's the easy bit. It's the recognising. So it was the recognising just how burnt out I was you know, and my work was fulfilling. I didn't want to give it up, but I was burnt out. I, and then recognising actually you're trying to be all things to all people. That's the bit that's not working. It's yeah. not that you're not good at your job or that you're not a great mum or you're not. It's spread too thin. Yeah. Time to stop that. Yeah. Um, you know, the decision to, to move, to go, what, what is it that we want? Once we knew what we wanted, boom, we made a decision that looked so completely left field and yet because it was based on knowing what we were after. Yeah. You could recognise it as the right fit when it came up. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, I really do believe that. Like when you when you can stop and go, what is it that's not working or what do I want, the flow on decisions are much yeah. easier. But I think that that's what most people catch themselves, that they are spread too thin maybe or that there's so many racing thoughts or so many mm. distractions and fill their life up with so much busyness. That it's really hard to have that that pause to figure to to acknowledge something doesn't feel right, and I need to take the time to figure out what that 
what that is. Absolutely. And when you're on the right wheel, it's hard to make the time. It's hard to get the the mental clarity or space or quiet to identify it. Yet that's the thing that will that's a it's the pause button it's the some yeah. what's not right here did you actually stop like have you when you have had those moments do you know oh, gosh I, I found myself here again and i've got to like have a time out to oh yourself. yes i'm a really slow learner i find myself there again <laughs> <laughs> so yeah absolutely so say so with backtrack um well i get no i guess before that so when i identified that isolation and the need to connect you know, it wasn't something I, I saw immediately, you know, it crept up on me and it and then started to become overwhelming. Um, and I had to kind of sit with it and and go, I've, we've deliberately made this choice to move here. I have all of these things that other things I've wanted. What is it? What is it that's making me feel sad? You know, and just stopping and asking. Yeah. And it was actually, I don't have all of those layers of connection that I took for granted, quite obviously, until I'd moved away from them and then suddenly recognised how important they were to me. So that, you know, making then the deliberate decision to rebuild those. Yeah. Um, you know, with backtrack, just running myself ragged, then going, okay, I'm going to resign. Now, after resigning, that was where the clear spot came to go, what next? Yeah. But I knew I needed to stop, yeah. and you know that none of those decisions are necessarily straightforward or easy. But at some point, you and do need just a bit of stop. Yeah, and I think that obviously that's I did anyway. yeah. yeah, but also that it takes time to. Obviously, it wasn't like you just went and sat under a tree and were like, ah, <laughs> no, mm, that's what I need. You know, it must just be like because no. the thoughts are recurring, so then you eventually find yourself coming back to the same things and, yeah. then, and then it becomes clear there's a, a theme or yeah oh, oh. Ah. we just had a runaway oh. ball hang on <laughs> well we're back the ball is uh, taken <laughs> care of but yeah, yeah so you don't you don't just go and sit under a tree it takes time to it does yeah it certainly has for me yeah, yeah. and I you know I wish I was a quicker learner that I you know sometimes it's it's not been easy for a while before the recognition that something has to change and then, you know, when you start to think something has to change, that's when the, you know, can turn my mind to what is it that needs to change and and then start figuring that out. But I guess maybe that's just the way it is. But it certainly gets uncomfortable for a while before I recognise the need to change. I'm getting better at that. But it's still a process that I go through. Yeah. I heard this, uh, I don't know where I heard this, and I'd love to know because it's a great... Uh, no, it's, the saying is... Um, in life like walking up the staircase of a lighthouse like you'll find yourself over the same point multiple times mm. but each time you do you'll be a little bit higher yeah. and I think that's that's the case isn't it yeah. and, and I think we're always worried about reaching the top of that staircase but it's more about well it just seems really cliche like depth, enjoying but, the walk yeah but um and I think that we put so much pressure on ourselves to be quick learners and be like well I, I didn't I learn that lesson and then when you you find yourself making <laughs> yeah. the same mistake in, you know the same situation you get really you hard on yourself yeah, so yeah. hard on yourself but it yeah. doesn't get you anywhere but it's so it? it's it can feel like the same lesson but often it's a different lesson in a different way and yeah. and you have grown and changed with it and it does come quicker or it gives you a different insight but leveling up yeah you know? one of the things that I really like reading about was uh was when you came down here and one of the things that you identified and in your garden the, the local, local garden ladies yeah yeah can you yeah. tell us about that yeah yeah megan um 
I quite literally came from somewhere where I knew, you know, what a bougainvillea and a oleander were and not much else. I'd not paid attention, but there was not much else that really thrived, to be honest. Um, anyway, I came down here and, and we, we bought Marinka. And Marinka has the most magnificent established garden. And I'd wander around thinking, I wonder what that is. And, you know, I wonder what that tree is and I wonder what... Anyway, about the same time as I realised my need for, you know, that greater sense of connection, I asked the Walker um, Garden Club if they would come out and hold a meeting in my garden and for them to identify the plants in my garden. And they're all, you know, wonderful women, um, incredible cumulative amount of years of gardening knowledge amongst them. Anyway, they were a little bit apprehensive at first and I said to them, honestly, you cannot offend me. I do not know one tree from another. And I gave them a basket with cattle tags and zippy ties and marking pens and got them to go around my garden and name even the most bleeding obvious of trees so that I knew what they were. I didn't know that that was an elm and that was a magnolia and this was a something else. And, and they went and did that for me, which was lovely. And, it, you know, of course, over time, if I bump into someone in the supermarket, it was another level of connection and conversation. But, um, you know, look, I still don't know everything that, that blooms in my garden or grows in my garden, but I'm better than I was and I enjoy it. And it's, you know... We've definitely put our roots down here. Yeah. And did Chuck, when you had moved and you're, you were finding that you were struggling and missing, you know, that sense of connection, was he on a similar, you know, trajectory? Like, was he going through a similar thing or was it? I think in a different way. Um, you know, Chuck, uh, Chuck continued to travel a lot with the low-stress stock handling schools. And so there were a lot of people, I guess, from the life we'd, not left behind, but we, you know, we'd stepped away from, you know, geographically, we we're quite a long way from most of the people we knew. Uh, whereas Chuck was continuing to see those people, you know, through his work. Um, I wasn't to a lesser extent. So, yeah, and, and just different people as well, you know. I think for me that value, that, that sense of connection and belonging was just so important um, that it was, you know, it was an overwhelming thing and perhaps also being you know, the mother of four little kids and wanting to build that sense of connection and belonging for myself and for our children um, was a real driver in me. I guess with your kids as well, when it comes to making decisions, you know, mm. you've got two kids who've left home and yeah. um, are starting to make choices about what their life's going to look yeah. like. What I just wonder what, you know, as a mother, you try and instill in them. Yeah. Look, our children are all really different, which is a blessing. Uh, and it's been a wonderful thing to watch them work out who they are and, and do their own thing in their own terms. For me, I think that's the biggest thing is is really instilling in the kids that we're all different and we all have different things that make us happy or fulfilled. And it's up to each of us to recognise what that is over time. You get, you know, the longer you live, the more insights you get to that, I guess. But, you know, I don't want my children to feel that they have to, do a certain thing to, you know, satisfy our expectations or anybody else's. So if they can work out what it is that they love doing or that what their interests are or where they enjoy living, go there, you know. So we have, you know, one living in Melbourne and one living in Newcastle and joined surfing and, you know, I'd much rather that the kids felt a sense of 
you know, ownership of their own choices and the paths that they'll take them as individual and as diverse as they'll end up being than ever thinking for one minute that they felt that they were confined to a set of expectations. That sounds to me like self-trust, like mm. being, you know, giving your kids the confidence to trust themselves and back themselves to... Just let them know themselves, I think, yeah. Megan. You know, if you have enough experiences that you can figure things out a bit, you can start to get a strong sense of, wow, I love doing that, I want to do more of that. Mm. Um, and let them, yeah, it's about, it's probably really about that self-discovery. Let them yeah. discover for themselves and then help them to recognise and amplify. But I guess practically, you know, these are these are things that you can say, but what does that look like? What does you that know? look like? Yeah. So letting, letting the kids have opportunities or ensuring that the kids have opportunities to try different things. And, you know, while it might not be something that we're interested in, if they show interest in it, support them in that interest. And then if they go, I tried that and it's not for me, that's okay. Yeah. Try something else or, you know, and through that experience of trying different things, they've worked out what it is for them that they like and then they've been encouraged to pursue that. Yeah. You know, so. Which is such a gift because I think, especially, you know, where we come from in mm. northwest Queensland, to take over, you know, there's the legacy, you know, and there's that responsibility almost to keep things going mm. through the generations. Yeah, I just, I really have found for us giving the kids opportunities to explore different things and then providing the support that they need to commit to something regardless of what that is and how how different it might be to, you know, something that we're used to doing. And they will, they will find out what works yeah. for them and they start to, you know, walk to the beat of their own drum and that's a beautiful thing to see. Yeah, and I, I think it does take courage. Obviously, we've seen with the Backtrack Boys as well, yeah. sometimes that they wouldn't get that same encouragement and so then you know you've got to find it in different ways yeah and it comes down to practical things you know I guess we did that you know with the backtrack boys as well you go okay you know they need an opportunity to learn okay well what does that look like when you break it down they need somewhere safe to sleep they need a meal they need shoes they need someone to get them out of bed they need someone to show them the skills and then suddenly you turn around one day and they've got it but you do have to break it down and do all the little things yeah and maybe that's the whole point it is actually all the little things. If you do the little thing well, the end game tends to sort itself out. But just keep doing those little things with yeah. intent. And I guess if you get the little things right, then you can make, you don't have to make those decisions. Like that's one less decision, isn't it? Like once you've got the little things right, then you've got a springboard to sort of make more well, decisions. You can't, you know, you don't always know what the big picture is going to be, do you? So, no. You would you have ever thought that you would be living? No. No, I did not think I'd be living in the New England ever. <laughs> um, but here I am and I love it and I wouldn't trade it. I think that's a great place to end. Thank yeah. you so much, Jen. Thanks, Megan. Thanks again, Jen. It was a lovely day meeting you, Chook, and two of your girls. Just a couple of Richmond gals hanging in the New England. Superb. I'll be back next week with another episode of How Do You Decide? Until then... Make good choices.